The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing where every week we work our fingers to the bone to make sure that you have the information and inspiration you need to start or grow your own real estate investing business. And today we have a topic that I've actually I've actually wanted to do this topic for several years, uh, largely because of my own curiosity about it, but also because um, it's a it's something that most real estate investors have at some point or another thought about or played with the idea, uh, but it's it's just tough to find folks who have actually done it, and that is building new houses. Like not a, not as a giant developer, not as you know somebody goes out and buys a thousand acre farm and throws in a whole subdivision and has a whole staff of people whose job it is to sell those things, but just you know. There's this cool lot here, and I'd like to build a house on it. So I finally met some folks who uh, have done this uh, quite a bit in the Nashville market. Um, it's it's uh, This is going to be easy because uh, it, it's Brandon Rumley and Brandon McDonald. So it doesn't matter which one I talk to, which one's talking on the air. I can just say, okay, Brandon, that's a great point. Uh, there's a third partner in Urban Dwell, Jason, who is uh, not with us, I understand, today on the air, but they're going to fill us in on what some of the risks and challenges of new builds are. Hey, guys, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hey, Vina, thanks for having us. Um, thrilled yeah, to do Vina, it. Thanks. Yeah, thrilled, thrilled to do it. I'm glad you guys agreed to come on and sort of share this because um, I, I get the feel that with there, there are some folks like you uh, in different you know, cities in the country, like any city, there's probably two or three people who make a real business out of, they don't just build a house here and there, they make a real business out of it, but they, they seem to keep the information really close to their chests. Like we're, we're all going to run out and start building houses if we, if we know anything right. about how to do it. And I have a feeling that our conversation today is, is going to lead some folks to say, yeah, that's too much trouble. <laughs> does not, does not, does not sound like something I actually want to approach. So um, if if you guys could, uh, you've got you've got kind of different backgrounds that brought you together, ultimately in this business. Uh, if you could just uh, share with us, like how how did you get into real estate in the first place, and then like what turned your attention toward new builds? Sure. So the the three of us partnered up. So it's Brandon, Brandon, and Jason, who's not with us, and uh, we all kind of knew each other before, but oddly enough, reconnected over a poker game, regular Thursday night poker game here in Nashville. And uh, I had was doing some rehabs, and McDonald was doing some rehabs, and Jason had a few rentals. 
and um, strangely enough, Vina, you were one of the uh, first uh, people that we kind of latched onto for education, and uh, so you, you've been a, a big part of our success as well as from those early years, 10, 12 years ago, and, and getting in when you would come to Nashville and speak, and uh, so uh, initially, Jason and the other Brandon partnered up, and then I approached them a couple of months after that and said, hey, I've got access to some money. Let's do a couple of deals together. And then uh, we did a few deals together. And then 2009, we kind of inked it into a partnership and really at that point had no clue what we were getting into. Um, but it was impeccable timing because we really started ramping up right after the, the market had pretty much bottomed out here in Nashville. Um, and so since then, we've been able to um, we picked up a lot of rental property from 2009 to 13, 14 until the prices didn't make a whole lot of sense anymore, although we've still added a few since then um, and opened a property management company. And initially we started out doing all rehabs. So it was fix and flip properties and then also fix to rent properties. Um, and then 2012 is kind of what arced us into the new construction and it it wasn't necessarily a um, who moved my cheese moment because we were still working in the same market that we were in, but the the area that we focus in, which is East Nashville, the zoning allowed us to essentially put two homes on one lot, and so in an area that had already been experiencing a lot of revitalization, we were able to take a house down and build two in its place, and so we did our, our first new construction in 2012, and now we've ramped that up to where we've primarily switched our entire business model from rehabs where we started out um, to doing mostly new construction today on the for, for the income side of our business. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it, it's worth mentioning for folks who don't keep track of markets that aren't their own that Nashville has been amongst the top five hottest markets in the United States for uh, probably the last five to seven years. And you know, everyone's everyone said, "Oh, there's not enough, there's not enough deals, and too many people looking for them." But Nashville has experienced huge appreciation and huge, huge revitalization. Like, Nashville does not look like the same city today <laughs> that it did that it did ten years ago. A lot of the a lot of the stuff that was, you know, first suburbs around downtown that was, you know, all rentals very. Um, Old, older, rundown neighborhoods are now owner-occupied neighborhoods where properties, properties that you could have bought all day long for sixty thousand dollars ten years ago, are now one hundred and eighty, two hundred, two hundred fifty thousand dollars properties. Right. So, um, your company still does other things, right? I mean, you do. You you still have the rentals. You still have the property management company. Uh, is there anything else that you guys are involved in other than the building and those things? Uh, the only other arm would be the um, short-term rental arm. So we've been able to build a lot of our new construction products, and as long as it's in, in the right zoning and we can get the city of Nashville to cooperate with us, then um, we can turn those into short-term rentals. Airbnb, VRBO, um, and, and furnish those out, and that's been... You know, Nashville at one point had the second highest hotel prices to New York City in the nation. So those Airbnb properties have been hugely profitable for us. So that's uh, kind of a, another arm of the business that we were able to get into. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
So you guys are are yeah. We look like geniuses because we got really lucky. <laughs> that's kind of the, that's kind of what you're going to hear the theme throughout the night here. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. You know, a lot of people, if they were being honest, that's that's how they would describe <laughs> their success. <laughs> but it, it's being in the right place and at the right time, but also actually taking action. Yeah, there were a lot of people in Nashville who were doing real estate at the same time you were who did not go the direction you went so let's 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 not let's not completely let's not completely uh bypass the whole hard work (laughs) thing (laughs) because i i know it's been a lot of hard work for you guys okay okay um so we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break because i want to dive into some i've got a whole bunch of really specific questions about like what do you guys build and what does it cost and what are the profits and things that I think listeners are going to want to know, but I also want to invite listeners to call in with their questions. Uh, The number here is 877-772-9658. Again, 877-772-9658. If you'd like to send in your question via email, just send it to askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. I am talking today to two guests, both of whom are named Brandon. So a little confusing, but that's why you're hearing two voices and I keep saying Brandon. Uh, they are partners along with Jason Dodge in a company called Urban Dwell Homes in Nashville, Tennessee. And what is interesting about them is that they are uh, they are small real estate investors, quote unquote, who actually build new houses. And that's a, that's a... Um, that's a thing that I know several people who've made forays into, but not not done it in sort of the organized way that you guys uh, have done it. So, so just just to get the audience clear on what it is we're talking about, what is it you guys are building? Is it is it? We some- do infill development. Okay. So it's like you talked about earlier. We're not going and buying a thousand acre farm. We're picking. Uh, seriously dilapidated homes in certain areas, tearing those down and building new, or just finding uh, finding random lots that are in, in certain neighborhoods that we've identified to be able to go in and, and purchase that dirt and then to build, uh, you know, either a single family or uh, a duplex or, you know, as many as possible on that, on that dirt there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and that idea of we put as much building as we possibly can, as, as the as the lot size will allow, uh, I assume is is sort of part part of the key indicators of the business, right? If you can if you can, you mentioned that Nashville lets you put two homes on a single lot. I assume if the lot is of a certain size, and that alone has got to double double the profits on that deal, right? Right, and that, that's sort More of where the... Likely. Go ahead, Brandon. So I think that, that becoming an expert at the the zoning, understanding the zoning in your local area is one of the keys to being good at new construction. So that's one of the things that we have, uh, that we have kind of become experts at. And, it, and it's a part of life that I think we hate because we have to deal with the government so much. Mm-hmm. But but it becomes so important that we can you know we can quickly go in and identify oh this this house here is on a big enough piece of land that it's actually zoned for four 
So we know that we can pay, you know, a whole lot more than somebody who's just looking at looking at that as a single family home. Mm-hmm. Um, or it may be even in an area where we know that Metro wants a lot more density. So we can go, you know, even farther beyond that where it's zoned for one home, but we could rezone it and get, you know, eight or nine houses in an infill development. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So, so what is the what is the timeline on that? So, from so you you've identified a a dilapidated home on an appropriate lot. You close it. Now you've got. Well, just walk us through it. I mean, obviously, there's a teardown. There's probably a process of getting permission from the city. And at at what point there do you end up actually breaking ground? And then at what point are you ready to sell? Go ahead, McDonald. I'll let you take this one on on the GC side of things. Brandon McDonald okay. is our general contractor. Yeah. So so basically, when we identify a property, we get it under contract, and I immediately go down to the codes department and I verify all of the things that we suspect we can do. Uh, we suspect we can tear this one house down and we can build two in its place. But I literally basically pre-pull the permits, even though I'm not actually pulling the permits. I'm going to each of the departments and saying, hey, we're going to come to you in a few months and we want to pull a permit for two houses here. Is that okay? And they go, yep. And then they put it in the computer so that when I come back, we don't get in trouble where they go, oh, no, no, you can't actually do that. Uh we started doing that because one day we showed up in codes and they said, no, no, you can't actually do that after we'd already paid for the dirt and secured bank financing and the whole deal. So that was a, that was a bit of an adventure. Mm-hmm. I, I would say that the front end of new construction before you actually break ground, the best case scenario in, in Nashville that we've been able to pull off is get the property under contract with a longer close, like maybe a 60-day close. We call our surveyor. We have the surveyor go out and, and do his work. We've got our drafts person drafting the plans. They come up with a site plan. We send that back to the surveyor. He puts everything together. We then send it through legal, uh, and they file whatever documentation they need to. Then when we close that loan at day 60, we're actually closing with construction financing. So when we close with construction financing, uh, we're then I'm working on permit which don't actually take that long in Nashville as long as you've got all the paperwork together and then we're out of the grounds. But I would say that the best case scenario we've generally been able to pull off is between 60 and 90 days okay. to and, actually start getting out of the ground. And is is getting the approval to build what you think you can build a contingency of your contract with your seller? Like Typically, it, yes. Okay, okay. So it's now 90 days out. You, you put it under contract, it's 90 days later, you've got your money, you've got, you're have you closed, and at that point the construction actually starts? Yes, correct. Okay. And, and, and we think it's going to take four or five months, and then uh, seven or eight months later we're finally looking at a certificate of occupancy is typically how it goes. Cause our, <laughs> our metro government, has, they've gotten so busy that – you know, you, you call in for an inspection and, you know, whereas four years ago, they'd be there the next day. Now it's three or four days later. And, and so it's our timeline has expanded as Nashville has gotten and the codes department is just so overwhelmed with everything that's happening in Nashville that it, it's taking some time. Mm-hmm. Well, clearly you need more government. Yeah, right. <laughs> 
I'm hanging up. So <laughs> I understand. So <laughs> so um so you're you're really putting it on the market for resale. Seven months after you closed it, or are we adding these up and it's ten months after you've closed it? So that sort of changed for us over time as Nashville was having just meteoric rise and growth. We would put properties, you know, we would market it once we got the drywall and we would immediately get it under contract and then we would close it. And by the time we got to the closing table, we'd look at comps and go, well, we left 20 grand on the table there because if we had just waited and then got it done and listed it, the prices hadn't moved that much. Mm. So at that point, we said, well, let's no longer list when we're in drywall. So we waited until it was done. I mean, uh, you know, it was shined up, all cleaned, ready to go, put it on the market, and you know, we'd have an offer. We'd have five offers by the end of the day. Um, that's changed now, and you know, we're not seeing that meteoric rise in growth, although the Nashville market is, is still healthy. Um, and so now we're, we've kind of switched back to listing once we do get into that drywall phase and, and trying to pre-list to hopefully get a buyer on, on the uh, lined up to purchase it when it is complete. Okay. Okay. So at, at what point following putting it under, the, under contract initially are you walking out of the closing with a check and no house? Is it, is it a year process, a 10-month process, a seven-month process? Our, our bigger deals have been a year to a year and a half. So we're talking about an eight or a nine unit, which is big for us, um, eight or nine unit development. Um, if it's you know a single build or most of what we do are, are two units on one lot, um, those average timeline, I would say at this point is probably seven months. Okay. Okay. So about as long as it takes me to do a $20,000 rehab. Um, so... <laughs> So, I, I'm not great at rehabs. Um, so, so every every real estate investor out there has certain numbers that they look at in their strategy. For for apartment buyers, it's all about cap rate, right? Income expenses, uh, things like that. For single family rental investors, it's return on investment or cash on cash return for retailers and wholesalers it's what's the arv and what are the repair costs what are some of the key numbers that you guys are always looking at in deals and tracking so we basically looked at it when we started out from the same mindset that we looked at our rehabs so you know most people and investors when you talk about mao maximum allowable offer it will be what you can sell it for when it's complete or the ARV, the after repair value. Mm -hmm. And then you take 65 to 70% of that and then back out your rehab costs. And that's what you can pay for the property. So because we sort of got into new construction, not knowing what we were doing, we used that same type of formula. So we said when it's built and complete, we think we can sell it for this. Um, and, and that's a big difference between what we do and the, the larger track type developers is most of those, you know, big, they're, they're operating oftentimes on single digit net margins. So if they're walking away with eight, 9%, that's a good deal. Whereas, you know, early on we were having net net margins on some of the deals we were doing in the mid thirties. 
um, that's changed because dirt has gone up so much in Nashville, and so those those net margins have come down. But um, we we sort of look at it the same way. So there's a, a lot of deals that other investors will do in our market because they're willing to take that nine ten percent net margin, and so that that's basically put us in a land crunch to to be able to find the right lots to continue doing what we do. So that that's one of the challenges in our business right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what about um, uh, the, the place where a lot of our a lot of us who don't do this, the way, where our understanding falls apart is in the actual building of, of a house. So do you guys uh, do that all in-house? Do you just have your own crews and contractors and whatnot? Or do you, are you contracting with a builder to put these up? So I'm our I'm our licensed general contractor and we made that decision because we had uh, initially we hired another builder and we paid him a flat fee of $50,000 to do a, uh, to build four units for us. And he messed them up so bad that we were like, well, you can do that. Like you can make $50,000 worth of mistakes and we can just break even on it. So we, uh, so I got my GC license and then we've got a project manager and then we've got a, a full-time drafts person. And that's, uh, slash designer and that's kind of our team but then we sub out all the actual work on the units so the the other difference between rehabbing and uh and new construction is the the from a regulatory standpoint our insurance i i have to use guys that are licensed and insured um because otherwise my my insurance goes through the roof my my costs so one of the advantages of new construction is I'm, I'm generally getting better quality subs because I'm getting people that have had to go through licensing or, and go through, uh, and, and go through insurance to, you know, to get, uh, to make sure that they're qualified. So basically the project manager will, will line everything up. We put everything in a, in a, in a Gantt chart, you know, kind of a, a flow chart, uh, type scenario where he knows, okay, two weeks from now, I have to have the tile guy, you know, three weeks from now I've got to have, uh, hardwood floors finished, and he's literally just making phone calls, and then and then people are showing up to the houses and 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 completing the work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And roughly, what does it cost? For, uh, okay, let's let's start here. What are the uh, rough sale prices of your properties? Do you kind of build the same thing over and over and over again. No, we don't really we don't build the same thing over and over again. Although we have, I would say we've kind of shifted focus in the last twelve months. And we've started repeating some of the plans that are that are kind of the the cheaper plans. We were doing one of, one of the reasons I got into building was I I was doing a lot of our design work and I love contemporary architecture and, and doing kind of really interesting unique things. But we were leaving money on the table because I wanted to get artsy with houses and put in sixteen foot ceilings, you know that kind of stuff. Uh huh. So the. Uh, yeah, so so we we have started repeating some plans um, that we found are really are really cost effective, and we've we've kind of honed those down where the subs know. Okay, I know we're doing this plan, so the framer that would normally charge you know five bucks a foot is now going to charge me four fifty because he knows he can do that plan you know a little bit faster because he's been out there. Okay. Okay. And roughly, roughly, what are the what's the range of sale prices of these finished properties? So when we started out, we were building and selling in the low 200s, 199 to 224 for our first builds in 2012. 
Um, and then that's ramped up today to probably low threes. But we've also made the conscious decision to build a lot smaller than we were initially building. So um, a, a house that's selling, the last few we've done that have sold in the 324.9 have been 1,100 square feet and cheap materials. So we, we're talking vinyl siding, slab on grade, con- finished concrete floors. Um, but it's, it's more about location than it is. And we're unique in our market because we are – um, and because we saw the market softening, we made that conscious decision to move. So most of our competition is building in mid to low fours in the same areas. And we're bringing a new construction product to market in the mid to low threes. That's, you know, half the size of what they're building. But, you know, we're, we're still able to get make decent profit on it. And we open our buyer pool up to, you know, there's a lot more people that can qualify for a, a house in the low threes than someone who can qualify for a mid fours new construction home. Mm-hmm. And roughly, what does it cost you per square foot to put these up? I would say on the low end, uh, probably 100 a square foot. And then on the higher end, probably 130 a square foot. And my construction costs have gone up about 30% over the last five years between material costs and then the labor costs. I mean, I used to pay my framer 250 a foot to, to frame a house and now I'm paying him five. Uh, and that's just across the board, you know, because it's gotten so busy, everybody's just been able to, uh, you know, everybody's been able to really just kind of start gouging us. <laughs> it's called supply and demand, Brandon. It's not <laughs> <Right>. gouging. And <laughs> I call it gouging. <laughs> <laughs> it, it feels, it feels like gouging, but when there's a lot of work for people yeah, and, yeah. and there's fewer of those people around than there were 10 years ago, um, you know, you pay the higher price. And, exactly and, right. and I just, I just looked this up on Zillow yeah. just to give uh, listeners who again might not be familiar with the Nashville market some, um, some sense of, of where your houses are priced versus other houses in Nashville. It says that the median house price in Nashville is $266,000. So you guys are, are, are well within the kind of middle of your, your, your med- right. median plus 10%, maybe 20%. So, uh, and I also, it's interesting because, you know, I come down to Nashville every year and I do that market update for Nashville and the last, uh, right. And I'm doing that. This will be the seventh year, maybe, when I do it this fall. And every single year, Zillow has ranked the Nashville market as hot. And right now, it's ranking as neutral. You guys are like right, right in the middle of the yeah. <laughs> of the neutral <laughs> neutral market, right? Yeah. Fiftieth percentile there. So, uh, we're going to take another quick break. I'm going to ask listeners if you guys have any questions about this whole new construction thing, like first steps, how to get into it. Is it worth doing in a Midwest market where the median house price is only one forty? You know, anything like that. Uh, give us a call at 877-772-9658 or send an email to askvlikeinvictorena at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Davina Jones-Cox, and my guests, plural today, are Brandon and Brandon from Urban Dwell Homes in Nashville, Tennessee. We're having a conversation about their business of building uh, 15 to 20 homes per year there in the Nashville market. And 
Uh, guys, I hate to interrupt our regularly scheduled programming here, but I would I would be very remiss if I did not mention to folks who are, I don't know, anywhere within an hour drive or so of the Cincinnati area that our special guest speaker at tomorrow night's Cincinnati RIA meeting is Pete Fortunato. Don't even ask me how I pulled that off. I know, right? <laughs> Um, but Pete is Pete is coming up for one night. Um, he's got nothing to sell. He's just going to come and, well, you know, Pete, he's going to tell stories of crazy creative deals that he did and educate people about how they can uh, involve other people in their deals as folks who manage or finance or bring the deal to the table or whatever. And he's... he's uh, he doesn't like it when I say this, but I I honestly think that he is the most brilliant creative mind in real estate alive and maybe the most brilliant one who's ever been alive. For sure. Like this this guy is incredible. Yeah. So uh, that meeting is open to the public. You can get a free first time guest pass or just RSVP to say you're coming at uh, CincinnatiRIA.com. That's Cincinnati R-E-I-A. Dot com. Uh, remember, I promised you a meeting. I did not promise you a seat. I'm a little worried based on the pre-registrations that there may be people standing in that room, but it will be worth standing for an hour and a half to uh, hear what Pete has to say. Uh, okay, so Brandon's, um, I have some questions here that came in from uh, our listeners over the course of the last few uh, minutes. Um, question number one is, uh, how do you guys go about finding the, the properties that you are then tearing down? Like, like, I think what they're asking about is, do you have marketing strategies for that? We do. So I am in charge of acquisitions and marketing, and then I'm, I'm also a realtor. So I, I list them on the back end as well. Um, and that too has changed for us over the years. And in 2012, it was log on to MLS and pick your deal. Um, and then, you know, as Nashville took off, um, we then had to start saying, well, we can't rely on MLS for our deals. So, uh, we did some direct mail campaigns. Um, we've done enough building in the Nashville area that we have some good relationships with wholesalers. Um, that will find lots or, or tear downs and then call us up and, and wholesale those over to us. But honestly, that is the biggest challenge in our business right now is there are so many people that have come into this market that, like I talked about earlier in, in the call, uh, are willing to accept a margin on their net margin at the end of the deal that we're just not willing to accept. And so because of that, you know, lots that we would have paid – Twenty-five to thirty thousand dollars for in 2012 um, are now trading at a hundred thousand dollars, and we we just can't get those to pencil um, for it it to be worth the risk that we take to you know get the loan and personally guarantee it and um, you know the the time horizon of especially at this point now that we're seeing our markets start to plateau a little bit. Um, uh, you know, looking at a, a, a seven-month time horizon, you know, if you're doing a rehab where you can be in and out in a month, maybe two months, um, and then back on the market, that's a little easier pill to swallow than if you're saying, well, no, I have to buy this and then bank that seven or eight months from now, I'm going to get the price that I need to get for it. 
So that that has been the biggest challenge for us, or, or is the biggest challenge today, is finding land to build on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a uh, question from Lara, who is uh, in Kansas, kind of south of Kansas City. She says, I would really like to know what the lowest average sale price market make there. What, what she's asking is median house price versus what it costs to build a property. At what point does it not make sense to build a property? Like at what median price would you say, mm, uh, this just isn't going to work? McDonald, do you want to take that one? Yeah, I do. yeah sure. I, I mean, that literally is all about the math because, again, I'm paying so much for construction costs here. In, where you are in Kansas City, you may be able to, to build a 1,200-square-foot house for $90,000 that can retail for one fifty nine. And then you're also paying, you know, uh, you may be able to pay 5000 for a building pad. And you may be able to get six of those pads right next to each other so that you're doing six houses all at one time. It really, it really depends on, uh, on so many variables. But, but that's, that's one of the reasons we moved into new construction was not so that we could go do one in one spot, but that I could have my project manager working four in one area. Mm-hmm. So it's much it's much more scalable. But but as far as the, as far as the you know trying to go in and use the like whole median house price thing, I, I don't know that you can do it that way. I think you have to go in and say, what can I build this product for? And at the end of the day, what's it going to sell for? And what is my what what does my lot cost over here? And does it pencil out? Because if if you're only going to make ten thousand dollars on a hundred and sixty thousand dollar deal, that sounds awesome. If it's a guaranteed ten grand, but it's not worth the risk because it's not a guaranteed ten grand. Just like a rehab, things can go over budget. Yep. They can take longer to sell than you thought they were going to. That there's 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 lots of things uh, that have to be taken into consideration there. Um, her second question is: Do you ever just build a duplex to keep it and rent it out? Yeah, so we have been able to build and keep a lot of our properties, and um, some of those have been the short-term rental properties. Um, with the the eight-unit build that we did, we built it and planned on renting it from the project inception, and a lot of that was tax planning. So we got tired of writing large checks to the federal government, um, and so we said, well, you know, if we build this and then rent it and then a tenant's in there for a year and a half, two years, then we can sell that property. And in the meantime, the Nashville market, at the time we started that project, we were fairly certain was going to continue to appreciate. So our our appreciation and the actual value of the property went up. Um, and, and this was a, a four duplexes, essentially, that we built. They were townhomes, so they could be deeded separately. Um, but yeah, we, we built them in order to rent them, not because of the cash flow, because the numbers did not make sense. You know, we were able to break even essentially on rents, but we were also then able to move our income from ordinary income over to long-term capital gains. So when we actually penciled everything out at the end of that year and a half to two-year time horizon, we made almost double the amount of profit that we would have made if we had just built them and sold them initially. So it was more of a tax planning play in that particular project than it was building something to rent it out because the the cost of the unit versus the rents it would bring wouldn't make sense long term. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
And uh, we got, we're actually going to go to the phones here in a second, but uh, let me add uh, to Lara that one of the other things that you have to take into really serious consideration is how hard and expensive does your municipality make it to build? Because that, that's actually going to vary depending on where you live. Yes. And you know, I don't, I don't know the California market. I don't know the Seattle market. But the people that I talk to about new builds uh, say that it can take two years to get through the permit process before you can even break ground. And that that throws that throws a huge wrench into the whole profit picture because in the meantime, you're still paying taxes. If there's still a building standing on it, you're probably paying insurance on it. Uh, there's there's all sorts of things that just can make it. That there's things that the government can do that can make it so difficult and expensive to build that it just doesn't make sense. So you better find that out <laughs> before you jump into into this business. Okay, let's go to the phones, talk to Russell on line one from Connecticut. Russell, welcome to Hi. Real Estate. And, and both Brandons. Uh, quick, a two-part question. Number one, how would someone, you suggest it's kind of a general one, how uh, st- get started with it and um, from another area of real estate or, any, or anything like that. And also, uh, especially for those who live outside the Midwest areas, as Vina, you're mentioning. I'm in Connecticut, so. Uh, yeah, East Coast. For, yeah, first thing I would do in Connecticut is see how hard my city makes it <laughs> for me uh-huh. to for me to build stuff because Connecticut's a, a little bit famous for uh, local governments wanting to have their fingers in things. Uh, right. So beyond that, so guys, that's that's a great question. Like somebody somebody who's listening to the show and saying, "Yeah, I think I want to maybe look into that further." What would first steps be? I would say find someone else in your market that's already doing it. Mm-hmm. And buy buy that person lunch. Um, yeah. So you know, we we had a, a mentor in our market that had already done several of these, and he actually now owns part of the property management company that uh, that we have. And so you know, we were able to go to go to Bob and say, exactly what are you doing here? And we were friends, and we had been to the REIN Real Estate Investors of Nashville meeting, and had gotten to know Bob. So we built relationships with other investors in our market. Um, and and I, so I would say first find someone who's already doing it, and then secondly pay a general contractor for your first couple of deals. So if if you mm-hmm. ultimately want to get your GC license, then great. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know the way we did it was we paid a general a GC for those first few deals and got to watch him go through the process and um, and, and then learn from mistakes that he made and then make our own mistakes and then continue perfecting the process after that. Okay. All right. Great. Um, well, thank you. Um, yes. Sounds like a good a good plan, a path. <laughs> yeah. Truly, truly, a general contractor. If you're able to take a able to take a contractor or another developer out to lunch, they they literally can tell you within 15 minutes where to go if a deal makes sense. I mean, the, the numbers aren't that complicated. It's what can you buy it for, what can you build it for, and what can you sell it for. Those are just right. the three numbers that you're looking at. I mean, and it, yeah, it's it, it's not that complicated because new construction can be systematically put together in in a way that that rehabs. Uh, it's much more difficult with a rehab. Okay, okay. And as far as selecting a GC, well, to, how to go about that? Sure, I think that that's a that's a just like selecting any sub. 
you're going to want to get uh, recommendations and you're going to want to do as much mm-hmm. research as you possibly can. I mean, Google them uh, forever and ever and ever. Go back six pages and make sure that people aren't having issues. Go to jobs that uh, they're currently working on that you look up their license because there will be a way for you to look up their license, find out what permits are open, and then drive to those jobs. And drive by those jobs for every day for a week and see if there's guys on site actually doing work. Um, okay. And then find somebody that you feel like has integrity and that you feel like is competent. And then I would get a uh, get a fixed bid to bid to build the first house. I would not do a cost plus deal. I would absolutely hold them to a fixed bid, and it may cost you a little bit more on the first one, but it may it may uh, it may save you because I've seen a lot of people that are doing it, uh, cost plus deals in Nashville that they just get completely out of control. And the general contractor has no accountability, and he's just like, "Yeah, we signed a cost plus deal, so you're not going to make any money on this house, you know, but you still get to pay me my fee." Right. All right, got it. All right, great advice, right, guys. Thank you. thank you for your call, Russell. Appreciate that. So, um, Brandon and Brandon, we have like four minutes left. I know it just flew by, right? Um, right. Can you can you talk a yep. little bit about? the the biggest the biggest risks you guys face in your business like what 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 can go wrong has gone wrong you're always monitoring to make sure it doesn't go wrong i i would say right now um given that we think our market is plateauing and getting near a peak um our biggest risk right now is that timeline so i talked earlier about we were leaving money on the table because we listed it in drywall phase, and by the time we got it complete, we could have sold it for ten or twenty thousand dollars more than what we sold it for earlier in the process. Um, at some point, we're going to be at the reverse of that, where we're going to wish we had sold it in drywall and, and got it under contract with the buyer. Because by the time we get to the end of the project, we're we're now going to say, oh, well, now we have to sell it for five thousand dollars less than we could have two months ago. Um, so that that is one of the downsides to new construction is just that whole project timeline of, you know, now we're looking at a seven, eight-month time horizon versus someone who rehabs that can say, yeah, I'm in and out of this one in a month or two months, and it's back on the market. Because uh, it, it's a lot easier to look into the future two months versus seven or eight months down the road. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anything else? McDonald, would you add anything to that? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think that that's, that's absolutely the biggest one. Um, yeah, honestly, I think that we can leave it there because I literally think that that's the, that's the biggest one is, is, is market corrections and changes. I don't think that the government can do anything in, in that amount of time that, can, that could really, really hurt it, uh, you know, to, to the extent where everything is just shutting down. But, but I think that, yeah, the financing is the – or the, not the financing, the, uh, uh, just the, the, the time horizon with market shift. And since you brought up financing, I guess that is another risk as well. Is, is as our market does plateau, banks that were hot and heavy to lend us as much money as we wanted to borrow and were willing to give us 100% of construction costs, we're now seeing those same banks come back and say, "Well, we'll we'll still lend on the deal, but you know you're going to have to have some skin in the game. So we're gonna we're gonna give you 75% of the cost to build, and you're going to have to bring the rest of that cash." Um, so we're we're seeing the banking industry in Nashville 
kind of start to react to the softening in the market as well and pull back on their financing thresholds. Mm-hmm. So you are in a capital-intensive, market-sensitive, cyclical strategy uh, when you when you are building, and as always, uh, being being aware of what is happening uh, in the bigger market is going to be super important. Uh, I'd love to have you guys back in a couple of months to talk to talk this through more because I feel like I only got like half of the stuff I wanted to know asked <laughs> because of the of the uh, just time constraints here on the radio because unfortunately we are we are out of time but I do appreciate you being willing to come on and uh, share your adventures in building. Anytime, thanks, Vina. Thank you guys so yeah, much. Yeah, we appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, don't forget the Cincinnati RIA meeting tomorrow with uh, Pete Fortunato, CincinnatiRIA.com to RSVP or get a free first-time guest pass. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.